as Adam said, today is the day we wrap up our series in the Beatitudes. Big hello, welcome, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, if you've missed any of the uh, messages, I encourage you to check online. You can also check the podcast. And uh, I encourage you to take the next 30 days. We've just, we're wrapping up today our 60-day spiritual challenge. I want to encourage you to take the next 30 days and make it 30 days of happiness and review these eight Beatitudes every single day. I know that's a big ask, but I encourage you to do that as we continue to just allow the teaching of Jesus to seep into our spirits and flow out in our lives as we respond in the ways that he would want us to respond. Everybody wants to be happy. Jesus tells us how in the eight Beatitudes that we've been talking about, eight secrets to a happy, happy life. Now, each week I've been asking uh, you to fill in the blank. Happiness is dot, dot, dot. And, uh, you know, when I wrote this message, I wasn't thinking this way, but Friday night I had to say, happiness is a husky win, Adam. Happiness is a husky win. That was an unhappy uh, afternoon. That just... That just did not go the way it's supposed to. It's not the way it goes every single year. I mean, it was just a shock. I hadn't experienced that for what, eight years? Uh, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to next year, getting the next eight-year uh, streak started and, uh, you know, having a little bit of happiness. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, when we think of happiness, what does come to our mind? And for many of us, family comes to mind. Happiness is family. And I want to just kind of take you on a little tour here for just a couple of minutes, just for the fun of it. Um, you know, uh, three weeks ago, Lisa and I jumped on a plane and flew down to uh, uh, Columbus, Georgia, went to Fort Benning, where our second son, Quinn, graduated from captain school. And like I say all the time around here, it's not bragging when you're talking about your own kids. How many know what I'm talking about? You come up to me and tell me all the great stories about your kids, and no one's going to clap louder than me. Quinn graduated from captain school, about 200 uh, in the class, and he was number one in his class. How do you like that? And so... Uh, we are very, very, very proud of him. We thought that was pretty cool. We spent a couple days down there at Fort Benning. Then we jumped on a plane with Quinn. We flew back to Seattle where we caught up with uh, our youngest son, Britt and Emma, and uh, flew to Maui for a, a family wedding. Our niece got married. I know Maui in November is a tough assignment. I get it. But, you know, considered a missions trip of some way, shape, or form. And uh, we were there for a few days uh, with a good group of our family. Then we came back, and on the 19th, we actually celebrated Thanksgiving at our house where our whole family was together for the first time in two years, uh, Reggie and Rachel and our two grandchildren and Quinn and Britt and Emma. And so we uh, had two turkeys and all the trimmings and ate all day, and uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, that was on the 19th. And then uh, on the 20th, uh, I take uh, Reggie and Rachel and Rowan and Liliana uh, to the airport, and that was tough. That was tough on Grandpa. Look at little Rowan there. I mean, that's my big buddy right there. He's lived with me for four months, lived with us for four months. Uh, Reggie was deployed, turned out to be Afghanistan, and uh, he got home in time for uh, Lily's uh, birth, and so Rachel and Ro were with us for a total of four months, and so taking them back, that was tough, but they're back in uh, Kentucky and doing great, 
And then the very next day, I take Quinn to the airport, and he flies back to Italy, where he's stationed a little bit longer. Uh, and then Tuesday, Britt and Emma drive down to Arizona, where, they have, uh, where they're moving, you know, to take on new jobs and live by her family. And so, uh, you know, on Thanksgiving, Lisa and I had a very restful day uh, with Rex. We went on walks and had all sorts of fun. Uh, but happiness is family. How many know what I'm talking about? And whether they're near, whether they're far, I mean, it's just such a wonderful thing. And I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful family time on Thanksgiving. And this month is full of, of family, family memories, and especially on Christmas. There's nothing more important in all the world to any of us than our family. Well, each week I've shared a statistic, I've shared a quote, and I've shared a little bit of... Uh, information from literature on, on what it means to be happy. And, uh, you know, as you look into some statistics, you see that data shows that happiness is tied, uh, according to uh, the scientists who study this, to one's improvement in life. In fact, people in developed countries are happier than those in poor economies, so the uh, statistics show. A Gallup poll showed that people as a whole are happiest when they have both a mobile phone and internet access. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting. I mean, the connectivity, the ability to communicate. Uh, the statistic is this. 67% reported more robust relationships with friends and family because of online communication. Interesting. Um, the quote is a Finnish uh, proverb. Happiness is a place between too much and too little. How many of you ate too much on Thanksgiving? <laughs> It's not a happy feeling, isn't it, when you know you've eaten too much? And, of course, to not have any food is, uh, is way too little. Interesting proverb. And from literature, we read in uh, Jim Collins' uh, new rewrite of his book, Beyond Entrepreneurship, which is actually a business book, uh, he, he communicates that happiness, joy, fulfillment is found in purpose. And that really jumped out to me because I think it's so true in so many ways. But when we think about the Beatitudes of Jesus, Jesus basically saying to you and me, this is your purpose. Live out the Beatitudes. This is how you are to live. This is how you're to conduct your life. This is how you're supposed to think. This is how you're supposed to speak. This is how you are to be as followers of mine. Live out the Beatitudes. Jesus said, true happiness is an internal joy found in an eternal God. And we've walked through these eight Beatitudes over the last 60 days. And I've encouraged you to join me in just making it a focus of our prayer. These are the eight secrets to a happy life, a joy-filled life. Accurately assess yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Admit your mistake. Blessed are those who mourn. Respect others. Blessed are the meek. Do the right thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Forgive freely. Blessed are the merciful. Question your own motives. Blessed are the pure in heart. Promote peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then today, live with conviction. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Let's talk about this here today. Conviction. The final beatitude, the eighth secret to a happy life. Conviction. What does conviction mean? Well, according to the dictionary, it's a state of being convinced, a strong belief. A state of being convinced and a strong belief. The only problem with that definition is I don't think it goes quite far enough. Because people can be convinced and have a strong belief in a lot of things. They can sincerely believe in something but be sincerely wrong. 
I think of kamikaze pilots. Obviously, they had great conviction. They believed sincerely in their mission, but in my opinion, they were sincerely wrong. You know, think of some of the Nazi physicians during World War II, uh, you know, uh, experimenting on, on, on Jewish individuals. I mean, the horror of the stories we've read. Oh, they had conviction about the work they were doing, but it was terrible. Today, many, many people have strong opinions on certain things, but many are wrong, caught up with all sorts of craziness. Uh, even Christian people have strong, strong convictions on very different things. You have one Christian believing this, another Christian believing that, and it's possible they both may be, be wrong, but they both can't be right because they believe so differently. And then there's so many theological differences. So to me, this whole subject of conviction needs to go a step further. We need to have conviction in what is true. Jesus said it this way, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, rightness, truthfulness, that which is right, that which is godly, that which is living out the life Jesus invites us to live out. One of the early church fathers, Origen, put it this way, now the true soldiers of Christ must always be prepared to do battle for the truth and must never, so far as it lies with them, allow false convictions to creep in. So it's incumbent on you and me to be people of conviction, but make sure it's not false convictions. So what is right? What is true? I need to filter my life through at least three filters. And I want to talk about it for a few moments. What makes a conviction righteous and what doesn't? Righteous convictions. As I study the early apostles, the, the New Testament, as I, I look at the early church and I look at Orthodox Christianity down through history, I see these three filters over and over and over again. And they're very simple. Scripture, the Jesus life, and our witness and testimony. I need to know what I believe. I need to know who I believe. That's Jesus. I need to know what I believe. That's Scripture. I need to know who I believe. That's Jesus. And I need to know why I'm here. My assignment is to be salt and light. My assignment is to be an ambassador for Christ. My assignment is to be a witness. My assignment is to draw people to Christ, to compel people to Christ, not repel them from Christ. And as your pastor, as someone who loves you, as someone who thinks about this stuff all the time, I find myself deeply concerned that many, many Christians today will think a lot about the Scripture part. You know, we like to talk about our favorite Scriptures and jump up and down about Scripture this and Scripture that. And, and you know, most of that can be very, very good. But sometimes we can kind of uh, hijack Scripture to advance our own agenda you know, we kind of proof test, misquote, misalign scripture. But if we're not careful as Christians, we don't think enough about what does it mean to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead people to Jesus. We don't think enough about living the Jesus life, living life of virtue. And we certainly don't think much about what does it mean to be salt and light. I'm here on assignment to draw people to faith. For many Christians today, it's more about contempt than compassion, more about grievances than grace, more about fighting than it is loving people to faith. And I think we have a responsibility to wrestle with that a little bit. I need to know what I believe. 
My convictions must be anchored in truth. That's God's will, God's way. I need to know who I believe. I must measure my life by the example of Christ. Am I speaking like him, thinking like him, acting like him, behaving like him? And do I know why I'm here? I am here on assignment. This earth is not my final destination. This isn't my home. My home is heaven. I need to go to heaven, and I need to drag as many people as I can with me. Can I hear a big amen to that? And so how I live my life goes a long ways in determining whether people want to come to faith in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and this is profound, maybe the most profound thing I say all day. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. That is powerful. That knocks me flat. Am I living a life in such a way that I am compelling people to Christ or repelling people to Christ? To be honest with you, sometimes when I listen to Christians or read what Christians are saying or look on social media, I think to myself, man, if, if I wasn't a Christian and if I looked at that and I thought to myself, that's what it means to be a Christian, I would run away as fast and far as I possibly could. We need to be careful. We have a responsibility. We are here on assignment to build bridges to lost people. And what we say and how we relate goes a long way. So I need to filter my life through these three. It's important to be a person of conviction. But Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness, for rightness. Blessed are you, he goes on a little bit further in the next couple of verses. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me, because of the gospel, because of Jesus. You know, we, are, we need to be persecuted because of Jesus. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in his sinless life. We believe in his sacrificial death where he died on the cross. His blood was spilt for the salvation of mankind. That's what we are persecuted for, not for all of our agendas and all of our causes and all sorts of other things. It's important to think that through and ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute me, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We talked a few uh, months ago about our biblical worldview, and I shared with you that we need to live life within three circles. You know, the first circle is biblical morality. That's the Ten Commandments, the Judeo-Christian ethic, and also the eight Beatitudes. We spent 60 days talking about the eight Beatitudes. But also biblical purposes. That's the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We're to love God and love people. We're going to all the world and make disciples. One of our missionaries was just on screen talking about their mission's work. Biblical purpose is so, so important. Jesus' deathbed wish was, I want you to go into all the world. We take that very personally. We have conviction about those biblical purposes. And then there's also biblical virtues, and that's uh, the Christian ethic of love, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, selfness, uh, self-control. And so we want to believe deeply, and we want to reach passionately, and we want to love fiercely. And so we want to live our life in the center 
of these three circles. I, I need to believe deeply, but I also need to reach passionately, and then I need to love fiercely. I need to do all three of those. I need to hold that in context. You know, there are three words from theology that I think really are great to think about as we wrap up this series on the Beatitudes. You know the word orthodoxy, that's believing the right things. You may not be as familiar with the word orthopraxy, which means practicing the right things. And then orthocardia, which means having the right kind of heart. And when Jesus teaches us the Beatitudes, he's saying this is the right way to think and believe. And then he says, this is how you are to practice. You are to be bridge builders, peacemakers, meek, humble. But it all starts with having the right kind of heart. And I think if we just step back for a moment and we say, Jesus gave us eight Beatitudes, eight secrets to a happy life. Those powerful truths are sequential, they're radical. They were counterculture then, they're counterculture today. But they're also quintessential. These are the most essential teachings of everything Jesus ever said. How am I doing? How am I doing at them? And that's why, that's why we choose grace instead of grievances. That's why we choose love instead of hate. That's why we choose compassion instead of contempt or Christ-likeness instead of carnality. This is why we choose peacemaking instead of barrier building. This is why we choose civility and decency instead of disrespect and disregard. Paul was a man of extraordinary conviction. Think about him for a moment. He had great, great conviction. In Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14, you kind of read his uh, statement of mission. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what lies ahead in order to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. He was a man of great conviction. He lived like Jesus. He loved like Jesus. He led people to Jesus. He also demonstrated a singleness of purpose. Notice that phrase, but this one thing I do, but this one thing I do, but this one thing I do. Man, if you're like me, there are so many things competing for our attention, so many directions that we feel pulled in at one particular point in time. And I get great encouragement from Paul who had a singleness of purpose. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, strange toward what Christ has for me. Singleness of purpose. And his greatest desire was to know Christ. His greatest desire is to know Christ. Friends, this is my prayer for our church. Our greatest desire would be to know Christ. He says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and make Christ known. I want to know Christ and make Christ known. That was the motto of Paul's life. And I want it to be the motto of my life and our church and for you as well. One of the things that I want to encourage us to do is just take some time this week. In fact, I encouraged you a few moments ago to really make the next 30 days, 30 days of happiness. Take the 30-day challenge. Every day I'm going to pray through these Beatitudes. And if you do, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, help me have conviction to live out these eight Beatitudes one by one. 
I want to walk through them one more time. And as we do, I want you just to grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being a 10, you are just, 10 being a high, you are just like, you're as good as Jesus. How's that? Uh, chances are most of us are going to be below a 10. How's that sound? A 1, to be honest with yourself, means, man, I'm, I'm nowhere. I'm really nowhere. But I want you just to grade yourself and as, we, as we walk through these. And I want to uh, just restate them, and then I want to kind of give a paraphrase for each of them. Secret number one, accurately assess yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who realize they're spiritually destitute without God. It's so important to start with this first one, to realize that we are nothing without Christ. We are desperately in need of God to forgive us and to save us and to transform us. Give yourself a grade. How how do you feel you're doing on that one? Admit your mistakes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who are saddened by sin and quick to confess it. We don't gloss over sin. We don't explain it away. We don't excuse it. We call it for what it is. We call a foul on ourselves. We call sin out. And we say, this is going to be destructive for me and people around me. I need to wake up. I need to confess my sins. And if I do, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But I must not excuse it or overlook it. Secret number three, respect others. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed, uh, happy are those who humbly put God first, others second, and self third. How well do I do? at being meek and humble and respectful of other people. Grade yourself on these first three. Number four, do the right thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteous, for they will be filled. Happy are those who have a deep desire to do the right thing, the God thing. In every situation, we make decisions, make choices. We want to do the right thing, the God thing. How can we honor you, Lord? How can we honor you in this moment, in this situation, especially when it's challenging, when it's tough, stressful? Forgive freely. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are those who are quick to forgive and eschew resentment. Grade yourself. Are you holding on to grudges, resentment, anger toward other people, hate toward other people? Do you need to forgive? Ask God to help you with that. Question, uh, secret number six, question your own motives. Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy are those who constantly question their own motives. If we question our own motives, others don't have to. It's a way to evaluate ourselves and to be honest with ourselves and to say, hey, my motives are out of alignment. I need to bring them back center to where Christ wants me to be. What, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I saying what I'm saying? Who am I trying to impress? What am I trying to accomplish? Happy are those who constantly question their own motives. And then number seven, promote peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are those who build people, build relations, and build relational bridges to other people. And we talked about this one here a few weeks ago. And then finally, live with conviction. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Happy are those who live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus. Jesus says, know what you believe, know who you believe, and know why you are here. Yeah, I want to just share just a brief aside. On January 9th, we are really excited at BCA to uh, invite everybody to a seat at the table as we expand our offerings and really provide ministry opportunities that we believe will help all of us live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead people to Jesus more and better than we ever have before. 
Uh, we're going to have more classes at 9 o'clock, classes for anybody and everybody that would like to come at 9 o'clock. Very excited about our Sunday school hour for our children, kind of taking a page from a playbook of years gone by as uh, we kind of re-entrench and provide a Sunday school hour for your kids, you know, all the way through high school where they can come study God's Word systematically, consistently with excellent curricula. And so we encourage you to be a part of that 9 o'clock. We also are going to expand our celebration offering, starting a brand new service at 9 o'clock in the activity center. Different style, unplugged is what we're calling it. And uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for those that want to come a little early. Really a tremendous opportunity for our many volunteers that serve at 10. They're able to go to a service at 9 and then go serve at 10. So that's really, really great. And then uh, it also gives us a little more elbow room as we kind of want to keep spread out and do those kinds of things. And then, of course, there's going to be more community groups. We've just come through just an incredible, incredible season of Rooted that's really jump-started our small groups here at BCA. And we're going to get ready to start another session of, of Rooted uh, toward the end of January. So if you missed the community groups uh, that we called Rooted during the fall, Brand new ones are going to be kicking off in January, and we're very, very excited about it. Why all of this? We want to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead people to Jesus more and better than we ever, ever had before. And so we're going to come together, worship, study in depth in our classes, get together and inspire one another in our community groups. And I think it'll be really an exciting way to kick off 2022. Did I just say 2022? Where did 2021 go? Uh, start off the new year with a bang. I just want to kind of uh, tease that out just a little bit. Now, as we wrap this up, I want to just encourage you with three things. Remember these three things as we live life with conviction. Jesus says expect persecution, first of all. Expect persecution. Notice it's persecution for righteousness, not persecution for obnoxiousness. And I say it that way because, I mean, we need to think this through a little bit and just be really, really careful we don't get caught up in all sorts of conspiracy theories and amazing things. I got a letter last week from somebody I don't know, don't know, don't go to our church, but it's a, a letter, and it is full, front page, back page, conspiracy theory this, crazy story that, all sorts of weird, bizarre things. And I just sat back, and man, I had to... Uh, you know, take a break. It was, it was really, really amazing. And uh, it was bizarre. Um, and so Jesus is not talking about wild-eyed lunacy or fanaticism. He's talking about persecution because of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. It's because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. How many serve Jesus as Lord and Savior? He is our Lord, our Savior, our sovereign King. It's that kind of persecution. Um, the problem with many today is they are using the name of Christ to advance their own agenda, as I alluded to. Uh, we're not here to exploit Christ. We're here to exalt Christ. Amen? Christianity is about the exaltation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We don't cherry pick this, that, and kind of put things together and make up our own agenda we go to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is about Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Um, Christians around the world in what's called the persecuted church are facing serious, serious persecution, dying for their faith. We're not dying for our faith here in America right now. Maybe it'll come to that one day. 
But I do think of people around the world who are dying for their faith, and I think about those in the early church that died for their faith. We've all read about Christians being burned at the stake, fed to lions, boiled in oil, impaled on sharp objects, torn asunder. Just read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read about the early disciples, but make sure you do it on an empty stomach because it'll upset you deeply. It'll upset you deeply. Church history talks about four persecutions. You see it on the screen there. During Nero, AD 67, that is most likely, historians tell us, when Peter and Paul were martyred for their faith. The second persecution, the first one under Nero, second one under Domitian, third one under Trajan, the fourth one under Marcus Aurelius. And then Jesus goes on to say that persecution sometimes doesn't only happen from without, but also from within. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20 to 30. Jesus' family said of Jesus and his ministry, he's out of his mind. That's not a nice thing to say about Jesus. And the religious leaders, a little later in that same passage, says he's possessed by a demon. <laughs> when, you need, when you have friends like that, who needs enemies, right? But I have found, and maybe you have too, that sometimes the greatest persecution, the greatest offense comes from within, not from without. Expect persecution, expect persecution, and through it all, purpose to live, love, and lead like Jesus. Anchor in his word, anchor in truth, anchor deep in Jesus and the Jesus life, and anchor deep in the awareness that I am here on assignment to be salt and light, to be a witness and to be a testimony. Secondly, choose joy as we go through uh, persecution and live out our conviction. Choose joy. Jesus says, when you face adversity, persecution, obstacles, choose joy. Why? Because Jesus will use those difficulties to build faith and strengthen our life. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, is a scripture that some scholars say is a passage about persecution. In fact, the word trials that James uses here, some scholars believe is interchangeable with persecution. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials or persecutions of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance will build maturity, etc. Consider it pure joy. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, about persecution. Suffering, Paul says in Philippians chapter three, shows, gives us an opportunity to show loyalty to Christ. As we go through times of suffering, we can show a loyalty to Christ. So choose joy when you go through trials, adversity, persecution, troubles, whatever it might be. Know what you believe. Believe what you know. Anchor deep in biblical truth. Live out an authentic Christian Jesus life and live in such a way that you draw people as salt and light. You draw people to faith in Christ. One of the early church fathers by the name of Polycarp is an amazing, amazing illustration of what it means to face persecution with joy. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and the story is told of how a mob dragged him to the tribunal of the Roman magistrate. He was given a choice, sacrifice to the Godhead, uh, to the, the Godhead of Caesar or die. And here's what he said. You see it on the screen. 86 years have I served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and king who has saved me? So they brought him to the stake, to be burned at the stake. And just before they did, he prayed this prayer. You see it on the screen as well. 
O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your well-beloved and ever-blessed Son, by whom we have received knowledge of you, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and this hour. I'm overwhelmed, Lord, that you thought me worthy to be burnt at the stake, to be martyred for your gracious, great name. Wow. I'm not sure how many of us would have prayed that prayer. Joy, faith, awareness. We may not be called to die for Christ, but we are all called to live for him, to live with conviction, conviction to live and love and lead like Jesus did, to be anchored in his word, but also be anchored in the Jesus life and to be anchored in the awareness that we are here to reach people for Christ. And that leads me to the final thought, anticipate heaven. As we go through all that we go through in life, we expect persecution from without and within. We must choose joy as all the early church seemed to do. And we need to aim for heaven, anticipate heaven. Marshal all of our energy and focus and, and strength and character and influence on other people and make sure we get to heaven and drag as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. We're about building bridges and not barriers. We're about being salt and light. We are about being witnesses and ambassadors. We're here to fulfill the great commission, the great commandment. We're to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead people to Jesus. Paul understood all this. He said, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. He said, we're pilgrims just passing through. We are not of this world. We are of another world. We're just passing through. And he said, at the close of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only me, but all who have longed for his appearing. We anticipate heaven, we keep our eyes on heaven. That's the goal, that's where we're heading. William Barclay in his commentary on Matthew said that Roman officials would walk through Rome and they would have this little censer, and in it would be ashes. And they would come to person to person, and, and, and a person was supposed to uh, take a pinch of uh, the ashes and throw it in the air and say, Caesar is Lord. But when they came to Christians, Christians could not cross that line. It was a bridge too far, and they weren't able to do it because they only served one Lord. His name was Jesus. And so they were persecuted. They were martyred. And we've all read about, and this is what William Barclay says, the kinder, the kinder uh, ways of paying for that, like being burned at the stake and fed to lions. If that's kinder, <laughs> what's not kind look like, right? And he goes on to talk about that. He talks about how Nero wrapped Christians in pitch and set them upright and used them as a torch to light his gardens. He sewed them in the skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs on them to tear them apart. They were tortured on a rack, just stretched and stretched. I mean, just think of how painful that must have been. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured, hissing upon them. Red-hot brass was placed upon the most tender parts of their bodies. Their eyes were torn out, and parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. This is William Barclay in his commentary to Matthew. But through it all, through it all, they kept their eyes on heaven. 
They knew that what was happening in this life was temporary. And they awaited heaven with great enthusiasm. As we bow our heads, as we close our eyes, I want us just to ponder for just a moment. As we wrap up this series on the eight secrets to a happy life, rethinking happiness, the eight Beatitudes are counterculture today, just as they were when Jesus first offered them. But Jesus is explaining to you and me, as he did to them, this is the life of the kingdom. This is not only the secrets to a happy life, this is secrets to a faithful, obedient life. Live with great conviction for what is true and right and righteous. Anchor deep in God's word and, and seek to live the Jesus life. Think like Jesus and act like Jesus and talk like Jesus and, and live out the love of Jesus in such a way that you can compel and draw and attract people to me, Jesus says. May your life, Jesus says, be such a powerful presentation of what it means to be Christian that people can't help but want to be Christian. The things you say, the attitudes you display, the actions you carry out, all of these and more are about building bridges to people far from Christ so that they can make their way to Christ and find salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. Life is short, and Lord, we pray that you'll help us understand that. Life is short, and we want to maximize every day and every opportunity to bring glory to your name and to lead others to faith in Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to ask yourself, have I committed my life to Christ, or if I have in the past and drifted away, am I willing to recommit or commit for the first time my life to Christ today? And if the answer is yes, friends, I just want to encourage you to pray a prayer like this. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. I want to become a Christian. Just pray that simple prayer of intent and commitment. And if you do, please tell me about it. Fill out that connection card in front of you. Or if you're watching online, fill out the online card. We want to pray for you. Reach out. Share some helpful helpful resources and tools as you journey on in your faith in Christ. Maybe you're going through a really difficult time, a time of persecution, a time of difficulty, a time of adversity. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares. Jesus knows. He wants to surround you with his presence. He wants to surround you with his love. Call on him. Say, Lord, help me. Strengthen me. I want to choose joy. I want to keep my eyes on heaven. As a church, Lord, as we move now into the Christmas season, may we kind of even ratchet things up a little bit more and choose more than ever before to make these next 30 days, the rest of 2021, a season of happiness where we intentionally live out the eight secrets of a happy life, where we think about it intentionally, we pray about it intentionally, we, we uh, seek ways to demonstrate more intentionally. I pray your blessing upon our entire church family. Be with each and every person here today. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?
We're going to invite our prayer team to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, we're going to sing a final song. Step out. We'd love to pray with you and uh, celebrate God's goodness in your life. God bless you.